Thank you so much for tuning into the Chronic Illness Support Podcast. Today, our guest is Caitlin, who will be talking about adenomyosis as an advocate and someone who suffers with the illness. According to the Mayo Clinic, at least 200,000 cases are diagnosed in the United States every year. Thank you so much for joining me today, Caitlin. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you for having me. My name is Caitlin. I'm 29 years old. I'm from Boston. Um, I was diagnosed endometriosis at age 17 and then over the next few years was diagnosed with multiple other pelvic pain conditions and chronic illnesses. And I work as a social worker and I'm also an advocate with the Chronic Disease Coalition and have also started my own blog and social media campaign called Chronically Still. That's awesome. Congratulations on all of that. Thank you. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about your journey with adenomyosis? So, um, like I said, I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 17, so I was a senior in high school. And then from that point, I got surgery pretty quickly and then started taking hormones, which I was told, you know, I would need to do until I was ready to try to have family um, and that everything would be fine. Unfortunately, I still had a lot of pain and a lot of symptoms after my first surgery. So it took a lot of going to different doctors, trying to figure out what was going on, and eventually figured out that it was due to endometriosis, scar tissue from my first surgery, and then also something called adenomyosis. I first started having symptoms when I was around 20 years old. So I was still on taking hormones at that time, not having any periods because of my the birth control I was taking but still having a lot of the same kind of symptoms you have with periods and my pain just continued to escalate and I had more symptoms and it was really difficult to do things. I was missing a lot of work, um, struggling with school and it was just um, trying to figure out what's going on. And eventually I was diagnosed with adenomyosis when I was around, well, unofficially around age 23 where they just that kind of told me, um, we, we know you have something going on with your uterus. We're not really sure what, but we will try a couple of things, see if that helps. It didn't seem to help. And then finally, I did get to a doctor who was pretty shocked. I hadn't had an MRI at that point. And she ordered one, which did finally show adenomyosis when I was 24. Oh, wow. I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. Yeah, it was definitely a struggle and really frustrating and also very confusing getting so many mixed um, information about what was going on and nobody really knew what to do and just kind of led me in all different directions. So I feel like if maybe doctors knew more about adenomyosis, I wouldn't have been sent to all these different specialists and tried all these really harsh treatments that didn't end up actually helping me. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what adenomyosis is? Yeah, so adenomyosis, let me see. So it's uh, known as a sister condition to endometriosis. Um, And there's unfortunately not as much information available about adeno compared to endo, but hopefully one day we'll get there. Um, But adenomyosis, it's a disease where the lining of the uterus or the endometrium breaks through to the muscular wall or myometrium of the uterus. And it can present as focal or diffuse. So focal means it'll be like tumor or cyst-like appearances or adenomyomas. 
and then diffuse is widespread disease. So some people do have both adenomyomas or focal disease and diffuse, like I, I had both of them. Um, and adenomyosis, so it's centralized to the uterus, but it can cause a lot of symptoms with um, pain in the back, in the legs, in the butt, um, issues with bladder and bowel function, um, mm -hmm. pelvic pressure, bloating, nausea, kind of all like the systemic symptoms we can see with endometriosis because of the chronic pain and inflammation. Yeah. What made you decide to become an advocate and do you want to talk a little bit more about chronically still? Yeah, definitely. So I, I moved out of state when I was 21 to be with my boyfriend who's in the Air Force. Um, and we, we currently live in another state. We've lived in multiple states since that time. So in the past um, eight years. And it's been, it was really difficult trying to navigate like finding doctors in new areas when my symptoms were getting worse and worse and I was really struggling. And then also the support system it was really hard to connect with people. People didn't know what I was going through and I would try to brush it off or like it wasn't really a big deal. Um, but I was missing a lot of things like missing, like having to cancel plans and all of that. So that takes a, a big toll on social relationships. So I think since I was diagnosed with endometriosis initially, I really struggled socially to have other people understand what I went through and really connect with me and provide that support I needed. And I immediately turned to the internet and social media. And I've actually had a blog that I've had since I was in middle school. And that's really been a huge sense of support for me from that time until I stopped using it a couple years ago. But um, when I stopped using it, I really started looking more into support on like Facebook and now Instagram through these private groups where which are pretty centered around like your health or disease. So like endometriosis or adenomyosis centered. Um, and that helped me learn a lot about not only my illness and kind of what might be going on, what options I have and what potential doctors could help me, but also to provide support emotionally and also help me advocate for myself and learn more about my body and what works and doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so over the past several years, I've just really, that's been a huge part of my life. And it's really helped me get to some, I think, better doctors and better, find better options for myself. And although it's not perfect and I'm not pain-free, unfortunately, but I think that's also would be potentially unrealistic given all of the chronic health issues. But it's really helped me learn more about myself and what I wish I would have known initially when I was in high school and even middle school dealing with these issues um, and potentially, you know, if I had had these resources and known how to advocate for myself, then I could have possibly not have had as many surgeries or, you know, all these different treatments or lost income or pushed, you know, had to defer school, all of the different things that come up with chronic illness. Yeah. So I, I really wanted over the past like two to three years really wanted to well, actually even longer than that wanted to give back and and really get involved and help other people so for a while I was just kind of providing support through like forums where you might answer questions or provide you know emotional support to other people about where they are in their journey because they might be in a different place and then I've 
realized I wanted to do that on with like a website and other kind of content on social media. So that's really what I've been doing for the past year. Uh, and I'm still trying to build it. It's definitely a work in progress. It's really hard to put your whole self into a website and blog and social media when you're working full time and then also dealing with chronic illness because that's another full time job. So it's not where I wanted to be, but it's, you know, more than it's been, which is good. Yeah, that's great. You've been able to use your experiences to help other people. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many different things I want to do. So it's just kind of like thinking about where I've been in my journey and what I hoped would be available or what I would have helped me and trying to do some of that stuff now to help other people who are, you know, still trying to figure this out. And it's also really therapeutic for myself to, um, to kind of give meaning to this really difficult and long journey that's been. Yeah. That's a great point to make too. How were you diagnosed with adenomyosis and how long did you suffer with symptoms before you were diagnosed? So I, I really started, I noticed I had symptoms probably three to four years before I was diagnosed. And in those three to four years, I had a lot of doctor appointments, a lot of ultrasounds, a lot of exams and like consultations with other specialists um, and trying like hormones and all different treatments. But finally, when I got to this new gynecologist who, because I had looked her up and I saw that she specialized in like uterine pains and, and kind of things that were outside of the box, um, trying to figure out like, you know, when things are difficult to diagnose. And she, she was really surprised that I hadn't had an MRI ordered in, you know, the many years of me struggling with my health and things getting worse and not really knowing why it was getting worse. So she did order an MRI, um, which found adenomyosis. And then from there on out, I had an answer. But, it was, you know, unfortunately, there are very limited treatments. So right. then I was trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. And that leads into my next question. What treatments have you tried for adenomyosis? Did any of them help? And did you have side effects from any of those? So I tried pretty much most of the hormones, like oral oral pills that you can try. Uh, I've tried so many; I, it would it's hard to like remember all of the names and stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, so basically a bunch of birth control pills, and I took it continuously, so without a break, so I didn't have a period, but I would still have breakthrough bleeding, which is one of the potential side effects. I also had like weight gain, nausea, migraines, vomiting, mood swings, acne, um, so some not so fun side effects. Yeah. And yeah. then I also tried an IUD, which caused my pelvic pain and leg pain to really, really worsen until I got it out and it kind of went away immediately when it was removed for me and also worsened my migraines, unfortunately. Because some people do say that the IUD helps them, especially with adenomyosis, but it just didn't really help me. Um, and then I also tried like pelvic floor physical therapy, which helped me. There wasn't any real side effect with that. Um, and then kind of like symptom management. So medications, um, suppositories, heating pad, kind of like home remedies and supplements. Um, some of the side effects were like just nausea, feeling nauseous and tired, but nothing really else. And then the last kind of treatment I did before I had a hysterectomy was a presacral neurectomy, 
um, which is a surgical procedure for midline or uterine pain. And there are some potential side effects with that, but I didn't have any of those. It just unfortunately didn't help me. And I know the statistic is that it can help up to about like 70% of people with midline uterine pain, um, but just didn't work for me. Yeah. What other information would you like to discuss about adenomyosis? Um, some of the things that I think aren't really shared too much are the myths about adenomyosis, which is something I'm trying to focus this month of April uh, on social media to share some things. Mm -hmm. So that adenomyosis doesn't just include like pain during your period. You can have pain all throughout the month. It is a uterine disease, but it's not just during your period, which is, you know, kind of a myth that ties into endometriosis too. People just think like uterine, you only have pain during your period. Um, and some people do, but I, towards the end of my journey with adeno, before the hysterectomy, I had pain throughout the month. Um, and the pain was really, really severe, like contraction-like pain, and it was really difficult to move. So I don't think people realize how severe and complex adeno is. Um, some of the other myths are that adenomyosis doesn't affect young um, women, and also, it doesn't affect those who haven't already gone through childbirth. Those were two things that I was told plenty of times, that there was no way I had like a uterine disease because my uterus was small and I hadn't gone through childbirth and due to my age, but clearly that was not the case. Right. And another important thing about adenomyosis is that the symptoms do overlap with endometriosis and some other kind of pelvic pain conditions. And many people who have adenomyosis have endometriosis um so it can be really difficult kind of figure out what's causing what or you know are is are the issues both of them and how to navigate that um but the best thing is to get to somebody really skilled in excision and who also is skilled with adenomyosis to kind of figure out the options um another important thing is adenomyosis can be suspected or confirmed with mri and also with ultrasound but ultimately hysterectomy is um, the way to diagnose and cure it and by doing pathology on the uterus after hysterectomy although it can be missed during pathology too so I know my doctor when he did my hysterectomy he said even if you know your pathology came back completely normal that doesn't mean your uterus wasn't diseased we saw it on MRI and the biggest thing is are your symptoms gone are your symptoms improved because um, my symptoms definitely were improved, but I still have pelvic pain and it's from a bunch of different sources. So I think that would be my biggest tip to people is trying to figure out your expectations and talking with your doctor about what it would look like, like if you're considering a hysterectomy, mm -hmm. um, because things like interstitial cystitis and endometriosis and pelvic floor dysfunction can all cause a lot of the similar symptoms too. Um, and the other just last part I'd say is just to trust your gut. You know your body best. You know what does and doesn't work for you. You know what you're willing to do and not do. And if somebody's trying to push you toward a specific treatment or saying you absolutely don't have this, but, you know, you feel like there's a possibility you do, if you're able to, try to get a second opinion and just, I would say, keep track of all your symptoms. Try to keep a log, like a diary of all of it, because that can be really helpful in, in when you're going into these appointments um, and trying to get answers.
Yeah, those are all really great points, and I'm glad you made those. Yeah, those are things I wished I had done in the moment, but of course, when you're you know not feeling well and you're also really scared, right? Need to overlook that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Do you have other illnesses that you would like to talk about? Uh, yeah. So, like like I was saying, interstitial cystitis, which is a chronic bladder disease. Um, that's something that's definitely overlooked, I feel like, in pelvic pain. Um, I think it's just because there's so much information that's, you know, it's just like information overload. And also there's so much misinformation about it. Um, but that can definitely cause some, some similar symptoms. And it's really tough to navigate when you have so many pelvic pain conditions. Like I have also recurring ovarian cysts, and that's really tough to navigate. And then most recently, um, I've been in physical therapy for almost five months, um, working on healing my, like, my the issues that all of these surgeries I've had and chronic pain and chronic inflammation have caused with my back, um, with all my muscles and my hips and legs and pelvis. So I think that's something important to talk about and and try to make people aware that there's a lot of things that go into chronic illness and pain. And it's not just, you know, like the, the main symptoms we see and there's a lot of work to do. And I think, well, I hope that some of these issues could be potentially resolved if we can get people to excisions, true excision specialists yeah. Um, yeah. right away instead of like causing all of these surgeries. Cause I'm sure I wouldn't have potentially wouldn't have needed seven surgeries if I was able to get excision, you know, right away, or even like the second surgery. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, how have you coped with adenomyosis and chronic illness? So the ways that I've coped um, is definitely like writing. Um, that's been really therapeutic to me um, and trying to figure out, you know, just like talking about talking to something unbiased without judgment about what's going on with me when, you know, maybe it's been difficult to talk to other people about everything going on and, or I'm, I just didn't want to talk to anyone at all. That's been probably one of the best things for me. Um, and just trying to focus on myself and trying to do nice things for myself. Cause it's really difficult when your body feels like the enemy and you don't feel safe in your body and it's you're not feeling well ever and you might have had to you know reconsider your job and whole life yeah, um, yeah. your whole future so really trying to focus on the positive parts of me and to build on that and also make sure that I do self-care each and every day and that self-care doesn't always look like bubble baths and you know painting your nails but Sometimes it's really tough things like scheduling appointments um, or stretching when you don't want to move or just meditating, writing, just kind of the not so fun things that are really can be really helpful to do when you're not feeling so well um, and trying to heal from not only the physical issues, but also the emotional. Yeah. Those are all really great tips um, for listeners. What is something that you wish you would have known when you were diagnosed with adenomyosis? 
I wish that I knew that it wasn't my fault because um, a lot of I received a lot of conflicting information from doctors and it felt like at times that I did something wrong or maybe I was just weak and not strong enough. And I know now that's not true at all, but unfortunately those are some of the things that were said to me and they might have not been said directly in that manner, but they were said in other ways. Um, and I wish I would have known I wasn't alone in this. It did feel really isolating and really confusing to be diagnosed with a gynecological disease as a teenager when in, at least in my like social and school communities, uh, periods weren't talked about and chronic illness, chronic pain wasn't talked about. I didn't know anyone who had these issues. Um, not, and even though I had great relationships with like teachers and classmates and all of that, no one reached out to me after I had surgery to see how I was doing, how I was adjusting potentially, they kind of, or I got the impact or impression that they thought it was like a cold or, you know, a broken leg that you have surgery on and then it's healed and you're fine, but that wasn't the case. Um, so that was really tough. And then trying to figure out with college and everything and just, I wish I would have known what to expect even if it was, you know, all of like, you know, it's a spectrum of what to expect, but I wish I would have known that because I don't feel like I was fully prepared. Um, and I was definitely in denial about things, which is normal, but I just wish that I had some more support about that. And I wish there was more support for my family and friends to really learn about it like there is now. Because um, at the time there really was not much if you were to Google these things back in, you know, 2000. 2008. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. How has having adenomyosis affected your daily life? So it may, like when, before I had my hysterectomy, it was really tough. I had to kind of plan things around when my period, at first when my period was coming because I would have the most of my symptoms right before my period and then right after my period. Um, so I would have to kind of plan like school assignments and work and, you know, going like grocery shopping and make sure I had like medications and heating packs and all of that stuff with me just in case I was, you know, to have symptom flares unexpectedly. Um, and I've also been trying to manage my stress better because stress is definitely a trigger for flares for me. And that's definitely something to this day is really difficult to try to figure out and also work through. But I think that might always be something difficult to do just because it's stress. And when you're stressed right. out, you can't really just, it's hard to take a step back and breather. Um, yeah. And then like taking, going on trips and car rides, that's all very difficult Right before I had my hysterectomy, I actually went to England to do research. And although I wasn't anticipating like getting my period or having a flare, it happened right before I ended, like a week before I had my hysterectomy when I was in England. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so thankfully I was able to get some stuff from like a store that I, and I already had a bunch of stuff with me that would help me um, with my flares. And I confided in some people I was with, um, which I think is, it's hard to do, but important so that they're able to help you. Yeah. But I had to just kind of cancel some of the potential, like, um, 
things that we were going to like do and see because I had to focus on survival at that moment. And it was really frustrating and it's still frustrating to this day, but I have just figured out like sometimes the most important thing is like figuring out how to sleep, how to get some food in you, get some water in you and just survive the day. And, um, and then like right now, um, every day I do still wake up with chronic pain and fatigue regardless of what I do or I don't do. And then there's other daily symptoms that can also vary in severity. Um, but just planning things ahead, trying to weigh the pros and cons and also make sure I have everything I might need with me or available to me, I think are the, the biggest things. Yeah, that's really important. You touched on this a little bit, um, but how are you doing now with symptoms? I'm doing okay. Um, I'd say last year, 2019, was a really tough year for me. Um, actually, just since I had went through emergency surgery for when I went through torsion and I lost my ovary and it was misdiagnosed, so it was delayed a little bit. And I think just that surgery and losing my ovary really threw my body off and caused a lot of issues. So that happened almost three years ago. So that just has taken a long time of healing and through my pain and whole like my hormones out of whack. So it's been, I've been trying to focus on healing and figuring things out for the past almost three years, but it's been difficult. And like I said, last year, 2019 was really tough. Just I moved to a new state and there was just a lot of changes. I think that played into it, but this year, I mean, I I'd say I'm definitely doing better. Um, my pain and my fatigue and like overall feeling weak is definitely an issue, but I'm, like I said, I've been in physical therapy for five months um, and I've made progress there in my strength and trying to work on the fatigue issues. It's definitely just a work in progress and I'm trying to manage my expectations. Um, and yeah, these, yeah. these diseases are all whole body diseases. So they affect your entire body, not just, you know, the organ that like you, the uterus or pelvis, but which people who don't think about it or talk about as much as um, we should talk about. So just trying to work on healing from all of the surgery, all of the chronic pain for many years and all of the trauma that my body has been through. Yeah, that's really amazing. Is there any other information you would like us to know about adenomyosis? Um, I think the last part I'd say is that not everybody has every single symptom and there is such a spectrum with the symptoms as well. So some people might have like mild pain and heavy bleeding. Some people might have no bleeding and a lot of pain. Um, and then, you know, symptoms do change over time. But like I said, just trust your body and you know you best and keep fighting and keep doing research. And also I'd recommend for people to look into the different support resources that are out there and reputable resources like doctors and other people really ex experienced in these diseases for accurate information and also support because there is a lot of it out there but there also is a lot of negative and false information unfortunately so it's just trying to figure out what's fact and what's potentially you know not true and also potentially toxic for well for <laughs> everybody because it's not true information and it's 
yeah. can be really negative and really bring you down the wrong path if you don't realize that it's not true. Yeah, definitely. That kind of leads into my next question of what piece of advice do you want to give listeners? I know I've said it a couple of times, but just that you're your own body's expert. You know you best. You know what's different. You know it's wrong. You know potentially wrong for you and what things feel like for you in, you know, like the day-to-day and then a flare-up. So do your own research. Um, keep track of your symptoms. That would be my biggest thing because I noticed I was taken seriously when I did keep tra- finally like write down every single symptom, all the treatments I've tried, all of the medications I've tried, all the tests. I have this huge document that I still have that I do need to update though, but it, it's pretty long already. Um, I noticed that I was taken serious by doc- a doctor when I had that and I brought that to an appointment because I think, I don't know, they just having that concrete information, I guess, helped. And especially because appointments get overwhelming. So I think it also helps to have something you already put together and wrote up. Um, and I would say if, if you're told te- like you're fine, tests are normal, just seek another opinion. It doesn't hurt if you're able to. I know there's some circumstances like travel and finances and, and other things that get in the way of getting another opinion. But um, just there are things like free second opinions that you can do with different specialists. So just keep looking into that stuff and keep advocating for yourself. And I know it gets really, really mentally exhausting to continue to do that when you're told you're fine or you're told something else, but just keep fighting for yourself until you get an answer that you feel comfortable with and you are able to create a plan. And the answer might is not, you know, might not be easy, but it should be something that you're comfortable with and a plan is created for the future. Yeah, all of that is really important. How can someone show support for our adenomyosis? So there aren't too many organizations, unfortunately, still to this day for adenomyosis. I hope that does change. Um, but like you could, there are some different advocates that do things on like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, other platforms that you can, you know, um, promote their information when, as long as it's accurate. And they have different support information, but there also are some some helpful organizations that I'll share. Um, like Vital Health Institute has Vital Health Endo Center. I'm sorry, has a lot of information on adenomyosis as well as endometriosis. And they're in California. The Center for Endometriosis Care they do a lot of stuff for adenomyosis, and they're in Atlanta. And then there is another resource called Endopedia. Um, it's a website you can look up, and then they also have a Facebook group, Endometropolis, that has a lot of information for adenomyosis. And you can also wear the color purple because that's the ribbon color theme for Adeno. Yeah, that's awesome. How can listeners connect with you? Um, I would say the best way is probably through Instagram, like messages or comments. Um, My Instagram is chronically still. I also do have a Facebook page, but I would say I'm on Instagram pretty much every day. And I do also have like a Twitter. um, I'm going to create some other potentially YouTube page in the future. And I've been working on revamping my website which I've shared before that it's still under construction, but hopefully in the very near future, it'll be where I want it to be. But definitely probably Instagram messages if you want to talk privately. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. I will put that information in the show notes. 
And if you would like to hear more about Caitlin's journey with endometriosis, listen to our previous episode titled Endometriosis with Caitlin. Thank you so much for taking time to be a guest on the Chronic Illness Support Podcast and telling your story with adenomyosis to help provide education and awareness. I enjoyed having you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. If you found listening to the Chronic Illness Support Podcast helpful in any way, please subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you so much for listening. <music>